All right, let's get back into Hebrews chapter 4, starting in verse 14, as we've read already this morning. And the main portion of what we're going to be really focusing on is actually verses 14, 15, and 16. And then chapters chapter 5, verse 1 through 10 is going to kind of help bolster what we read, what we see in verses 14, 15, and 16. But we cannot go forward unless we make sure that we understand where we've come from. Um, as I've said multiple times, the way that Hebrews is laid out is we cannot separate from what we've what we've been, where we've been, what we've read, what we've studied. It really is building and building upon one another, uh, almost in the form of a sermon. So, if we remember, we start Hebrews with uh, basically the overall picture is that God has spoken through his son. His son is God. Listen to him. That is, in a nutshell, the beginning. His message is uh, better than the angels. He is a better messenger than the angels. And therefore, you it would, it would do you, it would put you in grave danger to not listen to the son uh, of God. And then we find out in chapter 2 that this son came and put on flesh, came to earth. God came to earth. It was a big deal in chapter 2. That he would humble himself and take on flesh with one purpose in mind, to help us. And this is, this, this idea of help is really big in the first few chapters in Hebrews. And we're going to see that we saw that word maybe the last two weeks, but really we're going to see that word again today, help. That the, the Son of God left the glories of heaven, as you remember, to bring many sons to glory. And this is His help. Uh, but not just the help of the Son... Whom, when he come, when he came to earth, he was given a name, and that name was Jesus. And he comes and he takes on flesh, and he takes on the sins not of angels, but of the offspring of Abraham, those who were to believe. He's become like them in every respect, uh, to be a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. He has come to bear the wrath of God, to appease the wrath of God for those whom he's bringing to glory. That's chapter 2. And then chapter 3, we get our first warning. We get our first warning in chapter 3 as we, after we've been told that Jesus is better than Moses, we find out that we're no better than Israel. So the theme of Hebrews is Jesus is better than fill in the blank. Well, we find out in the warning of chapter 3 that we... We, right now, are no better than Israel. And Israel serves as an example to us of how we ought to take care, beware, watch out for one another. We find out that Israel failed to enter God's rest because they were deceived. They were deceived by their own sin. And the warning comes to take care of one another lest that does not happen to us. Right? To not be hardened by that deceit. To have an evil, unbelieving heart, which causes you to what? 
fall away from the living God. And the, the people of Israel fell away from God and fell in the wilderness. And none entered into his rest. And so chapter 4 was another bit of the warning to fear that that should not happen to us. To fear that that should not happen to us. To have hope in the promise of entering into his rest. And to strive together as the body to enter into that rest. So then we get to verse 14 of chapter 4. And I would assume that by now the writer or preacher of Hebrews is hoping to have you a little concerned. That he's wanting you to be kind of looking around for some help. And so verse 14, 15, and 16 is almost really tied together with the end of chapter 2. And the warning in chapter 3 and beginning in 4 is almost like something that he inserted in between what he was preaching. The warning comes in in between his teaching of Jesus as the helper, as the high priest. Now we always hear of the Holy Spirit as the helper, but it's very clear in Hebrews that Jesus coming as the high priest has the intention of being help for those whom he is bringing to glory. So look back at chapter 2 at the end of it and see how it finishes. I've quoted it, but let's just read it again. Chapter 2, verse 17 and 18. And then as soon as I'm done, I'm going to jump to verse 14 and see how it's almost like these two things should be have been right after one another. Therefore, he, Jesus, had to be made like his brother in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For he himself has suffered when tempted. He is able to help those who are being tempted. Now 4.14. Since then we have a great high priest who is passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. He picks up on the idea that Jesus is our high priest. That Jesus is here for help. If you continue to read on and look at verse 16. Verse 16 he says, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So, Three sort of big points, three headings for us to follow as we think about verses 4, 14 through 5, 10. Number one, you need help. Period. Number two, we ask the question, who can help you? And then number three is a bit of a, a therefore or a response Remember and pray will be the final heading. So you need help. Who can help you? And then remember and pray. So 
As we consider chapter 3, this staunch warning that we have received, we're wanting to think about the fact that you need help. You need help. So within this heading, when do you need help? Why do you need help? And what if you don't need help? So number one, in the idea of help, when do you need help? Well, yeah, you know, in the, in chapter three, or I'm sorry, chapter four, basically the writer in Hebrews says you need help when today is called today, which is every day. Uh, because there are in, in three and four, chapters three and four, you're given specific commands that are really hard. They're really hard. And so that one thing we've got to understand as Christians, that just because you say you're Christian, just because you say you are, you've been saved, does not mean that being a Christian is not difficult. Um, because here's what being a Christian is. It's being asked to do or follow or obey things, commands, God, and within yourself, you can't actually do. Right? You can't actually do the commands of God the way that you are commanded within your own self, within your nature, your sinful nature, because you're sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. You, as Hebrew, or I'm sorry, as Ephesians 2 says, you follow the course of the world, not uh, you're renewed by the world. You're transformed by the world. You're not renewed by the, the word, right? You follow the course of the world. You follow the prince of the power of the air. You're driven by your desires and lusts. All those things are in direct opposites to the commands of God. And as, as a, a, a human... You have, you know, your, you know, your car, I'm pretty sure I've used this example, your car that just always, you know, you're driving down a straight stretch and it always has that tendency to veer right. You, you let go of the wheel and you're like, oh, right. And that's how we are as human beings. We have the tendency to veer off, veer off. And the only thing that keeps us straight is the mercy, grace, and power of God, right? And so just in being a Christian and being in obedience to God, you need help. You need help. He starts off and he does he does this thing in, in chapter 3 and 4, um, you know, to take care of one another, to, to uh, fear for the sake of someone else. To strive towards obedience together. To continue to be steadfast. You need help in all these things. And that's what his, that's what his hope is. Is that he finishes this warning and he gives this promise and tells you to strive in chapter 4 verse 11. And he wants you to look around and say, but I need help. That's his intention. So 
when do you need help? You need help always. If your desire, if your desire is to please God, you were you will always be in need of help. From who? God. God. Now, he, he's given that help in different forms. Yes, the Son. Yes, the Spirit. Yes, the Word. And yes, the body of Christ. These are the helps. But we're specifically focusing on the Son, Jesus, the Christ. So, why do you need help? Well, we've, we've already touched on it. And he, he speaks of it in verse 15. And also in chapter 5, verse 2. Uh, let's look at 15. Why do we need help? For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. If we didn't have weaknesses... We wouldn't need help. Uh, look at chapter 5, verse 2. He, meaning the high priest, can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward. Oh, there's our weaknesses. Ignorant and wayward. Ignorant of what? Well, back up in verse 1 of chapter 5. Things in relation to God. Now, this is a, that's a tough pill to swallow that we would admit that we are ignorant to the, the things pertaining or in relation to God. Um, let me read for you 1 Corinthians Chapter 2. Chapter 2, verse 14. The natural person, which, which we mean the person that is not in Christ, the person who does not have the Holy Spirit, the natural whom we all have been or once were or might some of us still be, the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for they are folly to him. He is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. So apart from the Spirit of God, we are ignorant of the things of God, meaning we can't get it. We don't understand it. You need help. Like when you're not doing good in math, you need help. So what do you get? A tutor. Or you ask your older brother or a parent if they can read algebra. You need help. If you're ignorant, you need help. Even if you want to say, well, I'm ignorant and I can go read about it and figure it out. Well, aren't you relying on that which you're reading? You, you're you, nowhere, never can you say that I have made myself learned by my, without any help. That's that's ignorant. Yeah. 
But most of all, most importantly, to reel it back in, to know anything of God is to be helped by God, by the Spirit of God. That's the only way. And when you're ignorant of the ways of God, you are, as the word says in verse 2 of Hebrews, wayward, wandering like Israel in the wilderness. So we need help because of within our nature, we are ignorant and wayward. So what about the person who's read the Bible back to front tons of times and yet they're not a Christian? Are they ignorant? They know all the Bible. I mean, there are scholars in Ivy League colleges and universities who know more about the Bible than I do. But are they ignorant? Without a doubt. Without a doubt. A six-year-old with the Spirit of God knows more about the things of God than a 60-year-old with 30 years of biblical education who doesn't have the Spirit of God. And the only way to have the Spirit of God is for it to be given to you. And guess what that is the form of? Help. Help. Now, I, I belabor the point there too long. Why do we need help? Because of our weakness. Now, I said we need help. We need help when we are to have fear or concern for uh, ourselves or others' eternal state. What would keep you from fearing in that sense? Now, this is kind of backwards, and so hang with me here. Fear. Fear keeps you from obedience. So there's a good fear that we see in Hebrews 4, verse 1, where he says, Fear that any of you should fail to reach God's rest. But in other places, we see that all fear is cast out by the love of God. Fear of death, fear of man, and fear of judgment keeps you from true fear of God. Let me say that again. Fear of death, fear of man, and fear of judgment will keep you from a true spiritual fear of God. Another weakness, that another way our weakness takes shape is in selfishness. And these are really the big two that I kept coming back to in my mind is our fear of those three things and also our selfishness. Um, whether it is in uh, seeking, whether it is in lusting in sin or in disobedience to commands, typically we can draw them back to selfishness. So the last point on here on the on the help aspect, what if you don't need any help? What if you seriously leave today and you're thinking, you know, I just don't feel like I need help. No help needed is equal to no faith present. 
Let me say that again. If you say you don't ha- you don't need help in the sense of the, what the writer of Hebrews is talking about, you don't need God's help, then I say you lack faith. Because faith isn't something that says I'm strong. When we, when we declare our faith, it's not we're saying, I have faith, look how strong I am. It's actually the opposite. <coughs> I have faith, look how weak I am. Because my faith is in that which is strong. So if I walk out today and I feel like I don't need God's help, there might be a problem. Now, I want y'all to really live on that for a while and dwell on that for a while because that takes shape. That can take shape in many different ways. Raising kids. Uh, your occupation. Um, how you handle your finances. How you participate in the public square. How you um, how you treat your things that the Lord has given you. Every aspect of your life. Basically, that's what I'm trying to get at. Every aspect of your life, you need help. If, in fact... Your purpose or end goal is God's glory in that aspect of your life. If you don't care necessarily how God is impacted in that area of your life, then you're definitely not going to seek out his help. And it's not that you don't care about that thing. It's that you don't care about how God is interactive or participated or or or. How you might glorify God in that aspect of your life. You might love and care for your kids or grandkids. And you want always what's best for them. But if you're not doing that with one... No, with your eyes up to God. Hoping that you glorify God in how you raise your kids. And that you're raising your kids that they might glorify God. Then you're never going to look to Him to help you. But if your purpose is, I just want to raise my kids to be good kids, I can give you a bunch of books, the world's written, that says this is how you can get good kids. Yeah. If you don't need help with your finances, then you're probably not using your finances to the glory of God. You might be a good steward of your finances. You might have a really nice savings account. But God's not glorified in your savings account. He's glorified in the faith that you have in how you operate your finances. He's glorified in the fact that when you give or when you save, that the purpose is the kingdom. Not your kingdom. Not Ozark Bible Church kingdom. But God's kingdom. 
is saving my money, am I doing it for the sake of worldly gain? Or am I doing it for the sake of being a good steward of what God's given me? And we can go on and on and on in this. You've got to you've got to pick apart your lives on your own. I can't do it for you. You have to take inventory of your lives and say, here's a section of my life. Here's a section of my life. Here's a section of my life. What what makes me go? What makes me tick? What am I after in that section of my life? Do I pray about that particular thing? Do I ask the Lord how I ought to practice this? How I ought to do this? How I ought to spend that? I'm as guilty as y'all right now. I'm as guilty as can be. We, we, what, what ends up happening for people who don't need help they, and this is a real danger for Christians in a Christian culture who are raised Christians is they compartmentalize Jesus. They say, here's parenting, here's finances, here's my job, and here's Jesus. I'll do this on Monday, do this on Friday, do this on Saturday. Oh, i got to do Jesus on Sunday. No, Jesus better be the foundation for each one of those things. And if not, I won't tell you that those things will go to garbage because they might not. You might raise the best kids. You might have the biggest bank account. You might get the job promotion. But that might just be... That... I'm trying to figure out a way to say this. That, yeah, the Lord's the Lord's giving to you what you want, and it could condemn you. The good things that you receive, even apart from Christ, they can condemn you. They will condemn you. You've been so, just because you are successful in some aspect of your life, does not equate that you have put Christ in that aspect of your life. It does not mean that Christ has blessed that aspect of your life. God uses savings accounts that have $10 in them. What does He use them for? He uses them for Himself. If you don't need help, you have not put you have you have you have pushed Jesus out of that part of your life. You lack faith in that part of your life. You say, I'm strong in this area of my life. I don't have a weakness. Mm. Okay, so let's move on. Who can help? Well, the obvious answer is Jesus, our great high priest. That's the obvious answer. But... What I what I want you to see here is um, when we read a letter from the New Testament, we've got to remember the audience because we're not the original audience. We don't have as Gentiles two thousand years later. We don't have this elevated look at 
the priesthood like the original audience of this letter would have. Right? We don't think how great high priests are. We've never had like a physical high priest like Israel has had. So when you think about it from their perspective, when they need their idea of help was to say the high priest. Because if I need God's help, who stands between me and God? The high priest. Look at verse 1 of chapter 5. For every high priest chosen from among men, so he's looking back at Israel's history, all the way back to Aaron, the first high priest. From every high priest chosen from, from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God. So the high priest, uh, I'm out of the text, the high priest have, have been picked out by God among the people to help the people in things relating to God. And that high priest... Those priests, and specifically that high priest, has been given the privilege of entering in to the most holy place on earth one time a year. Into the presence of God in front of the ark, the holy of holies, to bring to God on behalf of the people their needs, and their sins. And so when Israel thinks, I need help, when the writers of the, the audience of this letter or this sermon, they see that there's help needed, their original thought is going to be high priest. High priest. And so what, what we want to see, what he was wanting them to know here is that there is a greater high priest, and that is Jesus, the Son of God. Now, this section in chapter 5, verses 1 through 4, is the beginning of about three verses, three chapters of comparison of Jesus as a high priest and the high priest of their understanding. And so this is just the beginning of that, and you're going to see it as we move forward throughout the weeks, of all the comparisons that are being made for Jesus to the high priest of Aaron. But it begins with not necessarily the differences, but the similarities. Because the author of Hebrews wanted them to know that Jesus actually qualifies as a high priest. Because we got some issues here. Number one, he came from heaven. How is he going to help us when he doesn't understand us? You know, let's say we... Nobody's... I hope no one gets offended. You travel to Mountain Home... People are different in Mountain Home. Life is different across the lake. 
It just is. We in Fulton County, we're, we're, we are who we are. And the people in Mountain Home and Baxter County, they're not like us. They don't understand us. They would have a hard time helping us, maybe even understanding how we talk. There's a big problem there, okay? So Jesus is, is being told that he is your help. He is your great high priest. And the thought might be, but does he really get me? Does he really understand? Because he's God, right? You keep telling me that he's the son of God. He can't truly understand my issues. Because look what he says in verse 2 of chapter 5. So the high priest who was appointed by God before uh, in the Old Testament, he says he can deal gently with the ignorant and the wayward. Why? Since he himself is beset with weakness. What is he just saying? Because he's a human. The high priest of the Old Testament, they can, they can deal with us gently and understand us because they deal with the same things that we deal with. That is a qualification of a high priest that can help. And what the writer of Hebrews wants you to know is that Jesus fits that qualification. He understands your weaknesses. Look at verse 15 of chapter 4. Sorry, we're doing a lot of jumping around. It just feels like it makes more sense to kind of come at this approach. Chapter 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. So we have a high priest, chapter or verse 14, who has passed through the heavens. He's passed through the heavens. So it's like he cannot understand us because he's come from he's come from above. He is God. There's no way he gets it. No. What did what did chapter two tell us? What did chapter 2 tell us? Verse 14 of chapter 2. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. He partook of the same things. Verse 16. For surely it's not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. 17. He had to be made like his brother in every respect. So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God. He had to be man in order to help you. He would have not been qualified to be your high priest had he not took on flesh. He can sympathize with our weaknesses. Now, the writer of Hebrews, is he's either, he just made this, didn't, say this or he was very clever in not saying this he not once says that Jesus had that weakness this is this is tough he sympathizes with our weakness and the high priest of old could sympathize with our weakness and what did it lead to for them 
what because the high priest could understand us because they were weak, what did that lead for them to do? Sin. Which led them to have to offer sacrifices for themselves before they could offer help to us. The high priest of old had to help themselves before they could help us. This says that Jesus sympathizes with our weakness in every respect, yet without sin. The the high priest of old had to offer gifts and sacrifices for their own sins. Do you know what Jesus offered? Number one, himself. He did not have to offer anything for his own sin. But number two, he offered something else. And this was a wordplay by the the author of this letter. Verse 7 of chapter 5. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. Now, there's people who's going to argue about this passage, about this verse. But here's what I see. We see in verse 3, the, the, the high priest of old having to offer sacrifices for their own sins. Then in verse 7, we see Jesus offering up not sacrifices for his sins, but prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. Meaning, he felt the weaknesses. He felt it. But then instead of submitting to it and sinning, do you know what he did? He prayed. He offered up, he didn't have to offer up sacrifices. He offered up prayers. And what did that bring that to? That brought him through to obedience and perfection. But you know what? It hurt him so. Because he offered up those prayers with loud cries and tears. He suffered unto obedience. And that made him our perfect high priest because he could feel the weaknesses that we felt. Yet he did not succumb to them, but he did the opposite. He took that feeling of weaknesses and went to the throne of grace. He went to the only one who could help him and keep him. So let's just finish it with this. Verse 16. Go back to verse 16. If Jesus is your high priest, if he was able to do that, where do you think you should go? Prayer. Prayer. Let us with confidence draw near to the throne of grace. Remember, you don't have access No one had access to that place apart from the high priest. But now the writer of Hebrews is saying, you go there. You are in big need of help. And the only place that you can find it is the throne room of God. And go there with confidence. Because why? Because of Jesus. Because because he is the great high priest. Because he is better than Aaron. He is better than all who have come before. And he, like you, 
have suffered when tempted, yet without sin. So when you are pressed, when you are tempted, when you must make decisions, when you must parent, when you must raise kids, when you must work, prayer. Go to the only place where you can get help. And go with confidence. And take every aspect of your life to the throne room. He says, let us draw near to the throne of grace that we might receive mercy. God owes you nothing. He owes you nothing. But yet he says, bring it all to me. I will be merciful to you. And I will be gracious to you to help. Now that word help, and this is how I'm going to finish. That word help, at the end of 16 in verse four, chapter 4, refers to a, I think I've told you all this before, refers to an old uh, naval shipping term. Ships of, of that time were made of wood. Planks. Right? I wouldn't want to be tossed in a harbor to and fro on one of those old wooden rickety ships. But what they did, knowing that the waves would crash, that that the seas would roar, they knew that they needed a way to help their ships hold together in the roughness of the seas. And so they used these things, and I don't know the Greek word, but that we see it in translation as helps. I don't know what they called them, but they were ropes that went around the hull of the ship. And when they felt like they were in trouble, like the ship was going to be wrecked by the roughness of the seas, they tightened up the helps to hold the ship together. And that's the word that he uses here in Hebrews 4.16. When you're in that time, when you are being pounded on by life, when you are in need of God to tighten you up and hold you together, you have to go to Christ. Rely on Him and He will hold you together. This is the promise of God for the children of God. For those who have life in Christ. For those who are united to Him by faith. Faith saying, I need you, Jesus, and everything, and everything. You must depend on Christ through faith and be saved. I didn't, I didn't show you, but at the end of chapter, or around nine or ten, it says that he 
is our eternal, our source of eternal salvation. You, Everything that you can imagine today will go away. Everything in this world will go away. But there are things that will last forever. And Jesus is the only source of an eternal salvation. And it begins with trusting in Him, repenting of your sins, being baptized and brought into the body of Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the goodness and kindness of your help that we have in Jesus Christ. May he be blessed before us now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen.